Hello, and welcome to Sword of the Story. I'm Janie. And I'm Max. And we're here to tell each other some stories. And also, you're here. Wow, welcome. Hey, wow. It's episode 46. Have you been here 46 times? Welcome back. <laughs> hey, you come here often, like, for example, 46 times, just as a random example of a number of times you might have been here. <laughs> of all the pod lofts in every house in Georgia, they showed up 46 times to ours. <laughs> <laughs> we should stop being surprised that they're showing up at this point. <laughs> still surprising. Excited to it see uh, if we still have weird baby brains in episode 100. <laughs> Uh, guaranteed. <laughs> it's still going to be weird. Anyway. We've been like this forever, and we're going to be like this forever. I refuse to change, uh, and so can you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hi guys. Welcome to the podcast. It's not for children, even though we're going to tell you some fairy tales today. Mm-hmm. So uh, get out of here, children. I actually have a ghost story for you today. Oh my god, it's really not for children. Ghosts it's are not for, for children. adults. <laughs> ghosts, ghosts are for dead people, actually. Ghosts are like alcohol. It's 21 and up to enjoy a ghost. <laughs> Responsibly. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's it called? Um, legal system. FDA. No. Uh, Snitching. What's it? What's the ABC. age of... Consent? 16. Not... In Alabama? No. Sorry, oh, Germany. Buddy. 12. Stop. No. Oh, Am no. I not supposed to guess? For Dane Cook, 17 and a half. Mm-hmm. What are you asking me? <laughs> legal drinking age. It's 21 years uh, old. The legal drinking age for consuming spirits. <laughs> oh, I should have let you just do that. That was very clever. <laughs> anyway, like you think we got there together. <laughs> also, I'm pretty sure most of those ages of consent are wrong. And also, I don't like that you know that. <laughs> no, they were definitely wrong. I was just making up facetious answers. But also not that wrong. I'm pretty sure it's 16 in Alabama. Maybe it's younger. It might be 15 with parental consent. I don't know. Uh, I'm to think of parental consent for, like, boning my daughter if you're 25. <laughs> yeah, I knew a bunch of gross dudes in high school, believe it or not. Me too. Uh, as a high school woman. And so I know for a fact that in Virginia, you can be married at, as early as the age of 12 as long as you have parental consent. That is a child bride. Yep. There's no such thing as not a child bride if you're 12 years old. <laughs> I don't care what your parents think. Nah, nah, man, nah. Guys, welcome. Last night, very quickly... <laughs> <laughs> our friend Lauren had a wonderful fairy princess birthday party. And if you're wondering if people showed up at the last minute with their fairy, like, discount fairy princess outfits, yes, they did. And it was wonderful. And if you're wondering if Janie and Alex and I went way too overboard, <laughs> yes, they did. Everyone was wearing discount wigs and tutus and, like, the fairy wings that you could buy at the dollar store. That are, like, hair elastics that you put around your arms. <laughs> yeah. And we showed up looking fucking great. <laughs> yeah. Alex got a... He got, like, a jacquard tailored, like, waistcoat, kind of, in, like, a navy blue with, like, a pirate shirt underneath. Yeah, it was really nice. He looked um, really good. Yeah. And uh, he, he looked had a these... little bit like a steampunk fairy. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. And then he had, like, rainbow-colored butterfly sunglasses that he was wearing, which was really cool. They were, like, dragonfly wings. Like, there was yeah. Some... He also got a bunch of them. And so he just kept, like, we, we all had matching dragonfly glasses. It was really good. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. Mm-hmm. You had, like, a corset-type thing on mm-hmm. with your, like, peasant blouse. Yeah. It looked really good. Thanks. And teal lipstick. Awesome. And beetle wing earrings. And I had a legitimate crisis because Lauren gave me pointy ears and uh, now my stupid ears are never going to be good enough. (laughs) Stupid. 
Anyway, the point is, is guys, if you're looking for a birthday party theme, fucking go for a fairy princess. It was genuinely hilarious. She has a neighbor who showed up and his wife made him dress up, I guarantee. And I just have a picture of him. He's all in white. He's wearing a white tutu, white shorts, a white shirt. He has white little wings on that are too small for him. And he looks like he's so fucking overhanging with young people. <laughs> and he's just pouring straight vodka into a plastic cup and frowning. <laughs> and I'm like, this is, this is what I genuinely hope the Tooth Fairy looks like. <laughs> I really hope that also. Yeah. That sounds really good. Uh, the dogs had little tutus on. Oh. <laughs> oh, it was such a fun party. And everything was glittery and sparkly and magical. I made a cake for, for Lauren, and it was a pistachio and matcha cake. With, with raspberries. Ra- raspberry buttercream, and then, like, ground pistachios and little raspberries on top. And it was very cute, and I was very proud of it. And it was uh, delicious. I ate it for breakfast today. Mm-hmm. So, anyways. Fairy princess birthdays! Yes. And uh, you should follow our friend Lauren on social media, because she's an amazing artist. Oh, my God. Go on TikTok right now, and Instagram, but TikTok, at La La Lauren Boyle. No. <laughs> You're going to love it. You're going to love it. She does a lot of book talk stuff. So all you readers out there, which if you're listening to this, it's it's a crapshoot. Because, like, why would you listen to us if you like to read? (laughs) Yeah, we're not as good as books. No. I can say that with some confidence. We make them way worse. (laughs) But if you are a uh, teenage dirtbag, listen up. We're about to tell you some stories. Mm -hmm. Max, are you going first today? Uh, maybe. I think you are. Because I went first with Arachne. I almost said Arachne. (laughs) <laughs> it's actually Iraqni. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so yeah, Max is going to tell us a spooky ghost story. Yeah, what? let's do it. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, Jamie. All right, Max. The story I have for you today is from a collection of stories called Quidum by Lafcadio Hearn, who oh, I've yeah. talked about a little bit before, the biggest wife guy. He came from Europe. I think he lived in the US for a little while, and then he married a Japanese woman, gave himself a Japanese name, and became a scholar of Japanese folklore in the most like aggressively wife guy, respectful way he could have at the time. Wasn't Lafcadio Hearn the one who wrote that amazing story about the baby who kept getting heavier? Yes. God, that I love Lafcadio that Hearn. episode so much. Hold on, I have to find that episode. <laughs> world's Every densest time. baby. World, it was the world's densest baby. Oh my God. That might have been... That's my top five favorite stories you've ever told. It might be top three. I like that story a lot. I like Episode to... 35, World's Densest Baby and the Adventures of Catherine Fried Cracker Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> KFC. KFC. Yes, I think that the, I'm pretty sure that that was him, but it was in a previous notebook, so I don't have it on hand. Cool. But so this collection is called Quiet On. You can also find most of these stories for free online, so I'm going to link to that in the show notes as well. But this collection is really cool. Um, it's it's annotated really well, so it has explanations for all the terms and also mm. like uh, cultural context. It's basically one of those books where it's like just a, like the paperback with the low res picture printed on the front, and then the like publicly available text. On mm-hmm. the inside, you know, like one of the like the books that's just like a printed version of yeah, a, yeah, yeah. like the cover is thing. fucking gorgeous though. Yes. Oh shit! I know what this painting is called, and I can't think of it. Um, it's the a... giant skeleton looming over a samurai. Yeah, and the giant skeleton looks like he just wants to be pals. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> maybe don't judge a book by its bony cover. <laughs> maybe don't judge a skeleton by his bones. Don't judge a skeleton by his spine. Oh no. Oh. Guys, are you ready for spooky season? (laughs) I'm so fucking ready, man. It's time. So, this story that I'm going to be telling you today is Jinky Ninky. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely pronouncing that wrong, but I can't figure out how to pronounce it right, so... You sound like Velma 
in, like, a weird, like, off-brand Scooby-Doo. It's like the Tiki Room, but for Scooby-Doo, where it's like, in the drinking <laughs> Sorry if any of that was offensive, but... Um, we're too tired to... I can't. We're too tired. <laughs> I don't know any better, and that's yeah. my only excuse. Um, so, our story begins. There is a Zen Buddhist priest named Muso Kukushi. Okay. He is traveling through the province of Mino, which is in present the present-day Gifu prefecture, mm. and he loses his way. He is winding over like over these hills and through these forests, and he realizes that he doesn't he's not sure that he's on the right path. And he keeps wandering, he's like, I'll find it, but then he realizes it's starting to get dark. He's been wandering around for a couple of hours and he's like, I really need to find some place to stay for the night, right? This is how a lot of our Japanese stories start is with someone being lost in the woods and being like, ah, I need somewhere to sleep. And then a ghost gets them. Because not single. I will say, I've read a lot of Irish stories who have somebody who's like, oh, I'm lost in the middle of the night. I guess I'll just go sleep under that tree over there. I'm going to bury myself under some rocks and make myself a little pillow out of some dirt. Like, <laughs> the Irish were like, I'm not going into a stranger's home. I'll just fucking sleep next to this very cold river. Who cares? <laughs> and the Japanese are like, I need to be indoors now because everything is haunted. Everything. Everything is haunted. If I'm out here, I'll be haunted. <laughs> it's true. They're yeah. right. And they're right. But also sometimes the place that you try to go is also haunted. Everything is haunted. You have to be at your house. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes your house is also haunted. Okay. Sometimes your wife is haunted. Sometimes you're haunted. Okay, but you know what? It really is choosing the devil you know, Max. It really is. So he's wandering around. It's starting to get dark and he's starting to sort of panic. And then he sees high on top of a hill above him what's called an anjitsu, which is like a hermit's lodge, like for one, mm. uh, like a solitary priest's home that like is basically just for them. And so he sees this in like the last rays of the setting sun up on the top of the hill. And he's like, oh, thank God. And so he mm. climbs up the hill and he goes to the anjitsu and um, he sees that there's an old priest outside of the anjitsu. And he's like, hello. I'm so sorry. I was just looking for a place to stay for the night. Could I Could I please stay with you? It's getting dark and I'm, I really don't know where I am. Mm. And the priest, like, aggressively is like, no, I'm really sorry. You can't stay here. Mm. Um, it's like, I, I wish I could help you, but I really can't. And you have to leave, like, now. But fortunately, there's a little hamlet down in the valley below me. So if you just go right there, you'll see um, there are people that will take you and they'll be more than happy to take care of you. Mm. And I'm sorry, I can't help more. And so uh, Musso is like, okay, yeah, I understand you don't want a stranger in your home. That's absolutely fine. Thank you so much for the help and the directions. And so he descends the hill into the valley and proceeds into a hamlet, Mm -hmm. which has um, about 12 little like farm cottages. It's very like a very, very small little town. He gets in and he sees everyone sort of congregating around one of the main houses, which is a little bit bigger. And uh, there are about like 40 or 50 people and they see him coming and someone comes and greets him and they're like, hi, are you okay? Do you need anything? And he's like, yeah, actually, I I really need a place to stay for the night. I got lost. Don't really know where I am. And so if anyone has a spare room or anything, and they're like, yeah, absolutely. We'd love to help you. So they take him to the house that everyone has gathered around is the house of the headman, who is like the leader of this like small, like the mayor, basically. Yeah. And he's greeted by a man who's like, yeah, absolutely. We have a spare room for you. Um, And he gives him dinner and uh, leads him to one of the empty rooms in like the mayor's house. Right. And he's like, please like feel free to spend the night. If you need anything, let us know. And the priest at this point is <laughs> exhausted. Like he's been wandering around all day. He has no idea where he is. Yeah. So even though it's like really kind of like early evening, he decides to just go to sleep. So he lays down and passes out. 
Shortly before midnight, he's woken to the sound of someone at his door. Hmm. And through the paper walls, he can hear people crying outside. So this person comes to his door. Um, It's the man who had greeted him. And he says, I'm so sorry to disturb you. I am the new headman. Oh, already? This morning, I was the headman's eldest son. But unfortunately, the headman has since passed away. He actually passed away a couple of hours before you got here, but you seem so tired. We didn't want to, you know, deliver sad news to you while you were just looking for a place to stay. And uh, he says, you know, I I wouldn't wake you because I, I know that you're very tired, except that we have a tradition in this village that when someone dies, we you know, prepare their body and we prepare them like the funerary rites we do for them. We place our offerings and then we leave their body in their home for the night. Just as sort of like a, a oh, you know. Yeah. To make, then, make transitions easier. I suppose. Yeah. And then all the rest of us in the village leave. We oh. go to the village that's like over the hill. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it's it's weird to stay in a house that has a body in it. And, like, strange <laughs> things happen oh, in, a, okay. in a house that has a, a corpse in it, right? And this is, like, a tradition. And, you know, every time that we've not done this, something, like, some incredible misfortune has befallen the village. So we all have to leave. And, like, we can find lodgings for you in the other village, but we have to leave before midnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the priest is like, well, I... I First of all, thank you so much for giving me a place to sleep, even for a couple of hours. I really yeah. needed it. I really appreciate your gratitude. Also, though, I mean, you could have told me. I am a priest, and I'm never too tired to perform my duties. So if you had told me, I would have been able to perform these funerary rites for you. But, you know. Mm-hmm. And the <laughs> the new headman says to him, like, oh, well, we appreciate that so much. But, you know, we, <laughs> frankly, we're kind of a fearful people at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, we... We really don't, don't stray from tradition. Yeah, we're we're kind of afraid of what happens when we're not here. Like we we've had all these stories passed down to us of like ghosts or goblins or anything like that that come and roam the village on these nights when someone has died. So you might want to come with us. Although you are a priest, so maybe not you're not afraid of that kind of thing. And the priest is like, I'm not. I this man needs his funerary rites, and I am a priest, which means that I'm not afraid of like ghouls. <laughs> That's you know, I will be fine, but I understand that you have your traditions. So you guys go ahead. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to perform the rites for this man. And I'll stay here until morning when you guys get back. And the headman is like, thank you so much. Like it's, you know, if you change your mind, this is where we'll be. But, you know, feel free to stay here. This is just our tradition, basically. You don't have to participate. We've always been kind of curious, though. So in the morning, could you just like tell us what you see? And the priest is like, yeah, of course. So the whole village leaves. And Muso sits down in the room with the corpse. This man's body has been prepared in a shroud and there are all these little offerings left around him by his friends and family. And then there's a small like Buddhist lamp that's left burning by him sort of to guide his soul basically and Mm -hmm. to keep away the darkness. And he performs his funerary rites over the body and then he sits down and he decides to meditate for the rest of the night, right? There's a really cool line that I'm just going to read verbatim because again, this is uh, in uh, the public commons. But when the hush of night was at its deepest, there noiselessly entered a shape, capital S, a shape, vague and vast. And in the same moment, Muso found himself without power to move or speak. So he comes out of his meditation at the appearance of this huge, 
something. Yeah. You know, like a shadow that he can't quite determine the edges of. It's just a shape that he can't identify. This thing appears in the room. And he can't move? And he can't move. This... Does it remind you of a boohag? It really does. This is just a boohag. Okay, go ahead. Japanese boohag? <laughs> okay, go ahead. So this massive shape, dark shape appears in the room with him. And he watches this thing pick up the corpse. Oh, no. As though with hands, but not with hands. Picks up the corpse and devours it. <gasps> Head first, like hair, bones, and shroud and all. Just puts it straight in. And then it goes over to the offerings that have been left. And it eats all of the offerings. And oh, then no face. <laughs> it's just yep. yeah this is no face whoa okay <laughs> and then just as suddenly and mysteriously as it appeared it disappears muso is left in this room which is now empty <laughs> yeah and so he just sits and waits for morning the next morning the town returns um he greets them at the door to the headman's house and they all are relieved that he's all right. They're like, we're so glad that you weren't, like, nothing bad happened to you. We were worried about you all night. We would feel awful if you were harmed under the, our care and hospitality. Did you see anything strange? <laughs> um, uh, uh, just one kind of little, like, a little kind of weird thing. <laughs> Define strange. I am a priest, so I'm not scared, but... Um... Yes, I did pee my pants. Okay, yeah, I did pee my pants. <laughs> but that was for different... Because I couldn't move. <laughs> I didn't know where the bathroom was, and there was no one around here to ask, so I just kind of peed my pants. <laughs> so really, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you piss my pants? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you did it. Shouldn't be called the headman. You should be called the, what, piss, the bedman. <laughs> pissman. <laughs> pissman. <laughs> um, none of that happened. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Just to clarify. And he, he tells them about this massive shape that came and took the corpse, devoured it. And they don't seem surprised to find that the corpse is gone and all of the offerings as well. And they're like, yeah, that's what always happens. And we kind of always wondered how it happened. But I guess now we know. And this lines up with the stories that they've had passed down with this tradition mm -hmm. that something comes and takes the corpse. So they're like not surprised, kind of confirming what they already knew. Yeah. Right? And Muso is like, well, you know... the really kind of a strange funerary practice. So there's a priest on the hill. Um, the priest up on the hill, does he ever come down and help perform your funerary rites? And they're like, what priest? Oh, no. And he's like, you know, the priest, he, he sent me down here for lodging last night when I was looking for a place. He He's up on the hill in the Anjitsu. And the uh, new headman says, there's no priest or Anjitsu on the hill. And there hasn't been a priest for the, in this region for generations. <laughs> hmm. um, okay and so muso is kind of like all right something's weird here right and they are kind of like oh silly man like something <laughs> tricked you right um so he they give him directions to where he's going um help him reorient himself so he can get to where he needs to go and then he heads out and on his path he he makes sure to head back up that hill because he wants to see what's going on with this missing enjutsu and the, the priest that he met and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So he gets up to the top of the hill and the Anjutsu is still there. The little hermit house, still there. The old man, still there as well. And he waves the old man and the old man comes up to him and he says, oh, I'm so ashamed. And Muso is like, don't be ashamed. I, You don't have to feel bad for not letting me stay the night. You direct me to someone who was able to give me lodging and I really appreciate that. So really, you don't have to feel bad. And the priest says, no, I'm ashamed that you saw me in my real shape. Yeah. <laughs> you got, you saw how much I ate. I mean, you, you see, I'm, I'm, 
I have this problem. I'm like, I'm a binge eater. I'm a binge eater. Okay, I didn't need to also eat all those offerings. Like, I'm so embarrassed that you saw that. <laughs> I just need you to know that usually I am on a strict diet. <laughs> I am regrettably a member of the Clean Plate Club. <laughs> you know, I blame my parents because they they never let me leave the dinner table, <laughs> like unless my plate was completely clean. And I think that just fosters eating disorders. By the way, hi, it's Janie here. That fosters eating disorders. Don't do to your kids. Don't do that to your kids. Mm-mm. Yep. We don't force our kids to uh, eat if they're not hungry. Mm-hmm. We don't do that. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so, <laughs> and we're back in the story. <laughs> so the hermit priest uh, explains that he is what is called a jinky ninky. Um, <laughs> Me too, man. <laughs> which literally translates to a man-eating goblin. It is a parallel to the Sanskrit term rakshasa, which have you ever heard that? If you haven't, I'll talk a little bit more about it after the story. And he says, like, basically, I was a priest. I was the priest of this region. But the problem is I wasn't really a believer. I was mostly in it because of the station that it gave me, you know, the clothes, the food. I never had to worry about being provided for, and I had a lot of power and everything like that. And so when I died, I was immediately turned into a jikininki, which is, you know, specifically being unpious or performing impiety throughout your life, pretending to be faithful, things like that. He was turned into this thing, which is a flesh eater, and he feeds on the corpses of the people who die in this region and in this district. Reminds me of a hungry ghost. It is a hungry ghost. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, you know, I feel so terrible. I've been doing this for years, and I really don't want to be doing this anymore. Like, I've realized the error of my own ways, but there's no way out of this for me. This is how I am forever. Unless you could, as a favor to me, could you perform a sagaki service, which uh, agaki is a hungry ghost. Mm -hmm. The sagaki is a service to release a hungry ghost from their sort of eternal torment of whatever they're supposed to be doing. Again, I'll talk a little bit more about hungry ghosts, but he says, you know, I'm trapped in this like state of having to eat corpses and I feel so bad and I should have done better in life. I love it on my lips, hate it on my hips. (laughs) You know how it is. It's like, I used to be a small shape. (laughs) Now I am. And then this is like, hey man. Capital S. Shape. <laughs> um, Me too, man. <laughs> so it's like, oh man, this <laughs> is relatable. <laughs> this chicken inky has a, some real self-image problems <laughs> that I would really love to help with. Your relationship with food needs work, buddy. <laughs> uh, food is what sustains us and uh, love yourself, you know? Yeah. So Muso uh, performs the Sagaki ritual and the moment that the ritual is over, the Jikininki, the hermit priest, disappears, uh, along with the Anjitsu behind him, the like, sort of broken down old hermitage, disappears as well. Mm-hmm. So he's standing at the top of the hill, and he's kneeling in the tall grass at the end of this ritual, and all that is there at the top of the hill is a circle of five stones, in the center of which is the tomb of a priest from many, many, many generations earlier. Wow. Yeah, and that's the end of the story. That's nice. It's a nice one. It had a very clear ending. That's Mm -hmm. very nice. Yeah. It doesn't end on a punchline, which I feel like other ghost stories kind of end on a weird punchline lately. Mm -hmm. That's very fun. Yeah. So um, a little bit about gaki. (laughs) Gaki is the Japanese word for apreta, which is in Hindu, Buddhist, and Taoist mythology spanning from... Japanese, Chinese, and Tibetan folklore. Really just a massive belief. Prita are these like hungry ghosts who are trapped in an afterlife or like a state of limbo 
where they, because of their sins in life, they're imbued with a hunger that can't be sated. What that hunger is for might change. Usually it's for something disgusting, like, you know, corpses or shit. (laughs) Yeah. Which it's supposed to be like, if you're bad, this is what you get. You have to live forever in this state of insatiable hunger and become like a warped version of what a person or any creature is. Yeah. (laughs) This is just... straight out of the article about hungry ghosts in Japan, according to the Nyayanu Sereni. Okay. (laughs) There are three groups of gaki and three subgroups. So the three groups are ghosts of no wealth, ghosts of little wealth, and ghosts of much wealth. Okay. I know which one I would want to be. Well, hang on there. Okay. Ghosts of no wealth, the three subcategories are ghosts with flaming mouths, Okay. Ghosts with needle mouths and ghosts with putrid mouths. Uh, Ghosts of little wealth uh, subcategorized into ghosts with needle hair, ghosts with putrid hair, and ghosts with swollen mouths. I guess. Or swollen throats. I guess I'd want needle hair. And then the third category, ghosts of much wealth, is definitely the one you want to be because they're separated into ghosts of sacrifice, ghosts of losses, and ghosts of great power. Okay. Well, I'm, there's definitely a hierarchy here. Yeah, I I mean if you if it's like an equal shot, I'm really going for being a ghost of much wealth. <laughs> That's so weird. Just you could be a ghost of much wealth. Well, you have a lot of power, but you got a real stinky butt. <laughs> like, there's got to be something else in there, right? You got a needle butt. <laughs> it's like you you rolled the dice and you ended up with a putrid mouth. <laughs> you know? Ew. <laughs> So that's just a little, it's a massive field of study. You can do tons of research on hungry ghosts and like their station within mythology. It is something that is specifically religious and everything like that. And it also is variable so much from region to region that I don't want to talk about it too much yeah. because anything and you know that what? I say. Do your own research, okay? <laughs> hey, buy a book, okay? Hold your hand, walk you up to the top of the mountain to where the little hermit's house is, <laughs> knock on the door for you because you're too shy, say, my son would like to ask you a question, and then ask the question for you? No. <laughs> you will find this hungry ghost yourself. Do it yourselves. <laughs> so there's a massive like wealth of stories about hungry ghosts, and I think that they're absolutely fascinating. But that's kind of where this comes from. This is a very specific kind of hungry ghost. Again, Jikininki. This story by Lafcadio O'Hearn is the other, only one where they are named that, mm-hmm. or where they are subcategorized and specialized into just a Jikininki, because it could be, you know, it, in other areas it might be called something else, or it, they might just be generally referred to within the larger spectrum of hungry ghosts. Can you... Can you spell Jinky Niki? J I K I N I N K I. Jinky Niki. Kniki. J I K I N I N K I. Niki. Jinky Niki. Jinky Niki. Jinky Niki. That is very fun. It is very fun to say. I do feel like I'm saying it wrong, but it's very fun to say. So. Jinky Niki. Okay. <laughs> there is a story. So I am going to tell this little one. I wasn't going to, but then I changed my mind. I went on Wikipedia and I was looking at the Jikininki because I wanted to see if there were any other stories about them. I couldn't find any other stories about them. But on the Wikipedia article, there is another story that is supposedly connected to the story of the Jikininki. However, I couldn't find any sources for it. Um, I couldn't find where it came from or anything like that. But the story is mm-hmm. that there's something called a Jijinki. 
Okay. Um, which is another kind of, not a hungry ghost, but like another supernatural being connected to the Jinkininki. Yeah. Um, the story that accompanies it is that there's a woman and her father is a very religious man. And he gave her this little blue stone of protection when she was young and told her, carry it with you always and everything. So as she got older, you know, she didn't really believe in it, but she would carry it around in her little bag where she carried her charcoals because she was an artist. And so she would walk around with her pad and her little bag of charcoal pencils or I guess just charcoals yeah. and um, you know, in that bag of charcoals was the stone of protection. Uh, one day she came across a jinky dinky like the hermit priest from the story, possibly the same guy as far as we know. <laughs> and he wanted to eat her, mm-hmm. uh, but she knew that she was safe because of the stone of protection. And he also knew that she was safe because of the stone of protection. So he tried to get it away from her by asking her, he said, I will tell you something that you don't know if you give me something of great value, hoping that she'll give him this stone. Yeah. Right. And she's like, yeah, absolutely. And so she's like, I'll give you this stone if you tell me something I don't know. And then she like sits down far away from him and waits for him to tell her something. And he's like, oh, but you can't hear me. You're so far away. You should come closer. And she's like, maybe you should come closer. And he's like, no, you should come here. actually, (laughs) So I can tell you this really cool fun fact that you don't know. And she's like, All right, so she, like, makes a big show of standing up and walks over to him. And he's like, also, I'm going to need that stone uh, as payment first. And she's like, all right. And so she hands him the stone, and he's like, aha, and then eats her. But as he's eating her, she, like, throws the stone. Or, sorry, Hmm. go back. (laughs) Uh, What's her plan here? (laughs) In self-defense, you want to avoid getting... Letting them attack you. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, she comes up to him. He's like, I'm going to need that stone. Or I'm going to need you to show me that you have the stone at least. And so she holds out her hand, the stone in it. And he slaps her hand. And the stone goes flying. And he's like, aha. And then then he eats her. Yeah, yeah. And then he goes to look for the stone of protection. And he can't find it. All he can find is one of her charcoals. And he starts to feel this rumbling in his tummy. And as she was making a big show of standing up, what she was actually doing was she switched out the stone of protection with one of her charcoals and then swallowed the stone really quickly yeah she did and so he starts to feel a rumbling in his stomach and uh then he explodes he does. Um, and yeah, she does. climbs out and she's like it's like the, Jap- what you get, bitch. the japanese saint margaret yeah that's exactly what happens to saint margaret right she explodes him from the inside mm-hmm. yep and uh apparently at the time she was pregnant she gave birth to two beautiful hale and healthy twin boys and they were the jajinki who were men who had incredible strength and could tell from looking at someone what they what their soul hungered for so it was kind of like past like this idea of this hunger passed down through her Mm -hmm. where like they knew people's deepest desire like lucifer style knew people's deepest desires just from looking at them and everything yeah Yeah, they became like basically superheroes and protected all of their like district and everything like that and those are the jajinki but again this story is only on the Wikipedia page. Can't find it anywhere else. It's a cool story, and that's what we do here, but I don't know if that's actually real. <laughs> uh, except that now we're all going to make our fan art for the Jajinki. <laughs> hot boys. It's just Big two Tom Hiddlestons. <laughs> They're acting with a mirror, like Lindsay Lohan in The Parent Trap. Wow. I said Lohan. Lindsay Lohan. Oh, Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> in The Parent Trap. <laughs> okay, uh, awesome. Excellent. Thanks. I love knowing that. 
I love that story. I love that story, especially because it's like a haunted house story where it's like, oh, through like a weird, yeah. like complicated logic, you have to stay in a house with a dead body. You yeah. know, like, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love like, oh, there's a priest on the hill. And it's like, oh, that hill's been empty for 30 years. There hasn't been a hill there for 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> love that. Love that. Uh, like as a precedent set in yeah. ancient Japan. Yes. Also, just everything about this story makes sense and is like really solidly told it in is. a way that I feel like a lot of the stories that we come across don't have that like sense of like, oh, dramatic irony, like beginning, middle, yeah. end. Like it's very like clean. It's like a it's very clean. tightly it's a clean written plot. We have yeah. a beginning, middle, end, which I like. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. Do you want to take a little break? Uh, yeah. Let's I'm going to put some water on my tea and then we'll be right back. Shrek. <laughs> okay. Uh, my swamp. <laughs> Get off my swamp. And that's the end of the episode. Uh, indeed. You're welcome for that second story. <laughs> Just a very quick recap of Shrek. <laughs> They're like, uh, what is it? Uh, 10 second Shakespeare of Shrek. <laughs> Get off my swamp. I'm Donkey. <laughs> Shrek, I love you. Everyone's ugly. I fucked a dragon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's Jurassic Park. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Okay. So, Max, <laughs> as you know, wow, we might as well end the whole fucking <laughs> thing. <laughs> that was too weird. Also, if you guys haven't heard it, you should uh, look up the TikTok video, this guy wrote a song called, about uh, Jurassic Park called Let's Never Go Back to Dinosaur Island. And uh, you should listen to it. And it's really good and really funny. I don't think I've seen that. <laughs> Let's never go back to Dinosaur Island. <laughs> no? No. Oh, it's so fucking good. <laughs> so Max. So Janie. I am <laughs> internet friends now with an amazing page named Affinity Florals, which you know. Affinity Floral Arts, I love you. I don't know you, but I love you. She is... The coolest. Guys, right now on Instagram, at Affinity Florals, she makes jewelry. That's her whole thing. She's amazing. She does, like, the soldering herself, and it's all floral and botanical-based. And her videos are so fucking common, because what she does is she'll make a specific flower, like a violet, right, into, like, a necklace or earrings. And as she's making the, like, putting a video of the process, she'll give you a little myth behind what these mean, right? So there'll be Greek mythology in there. There'll be, like, Iranian mythology, like, mixed into this these little flowers and the symbolizing, like, what they symbolize and how she makes them. And it's just... Very calming and informational. Also, I've been talking to her a lot about her process, and she just has so many books, and, like, she researches, like, she does such a nice, beautiful job of backing up all of her stories. And then we bonded, because (laughs) she, we we met only because one of my amazing followers uh, on TikTok went onto Instagram, tagged me in one of her videos, and said, her stuff reminds me of your Greek mythology stuff. And I was like, wow, I'm obsessed with her. And then she was like, wow, I just stalked you. I followed you. And I was like, dude, I just followed you. You should be on our podcast, (laughs) even though we don't have guests on this podcast. And she was like, I never talk at all in any of my videos. So 
um, no, but I'll give your podcast a listen. And now she listens to every episode of our podcast. Aww. And um, I love her. She's just a, like a really cool person. But she went to this, she has this bookstore next to her house that she, they do these sales of really old, rare books. And they, apparently she says they sell them for like basically nothing. Where she goes there and she's like, I'm on the hunt for a whatever book I can find. And they're usually like first editions and stuff for like way cheaper than you would expect to find them. And they do these special like sales. And so she sent me an, a Brothers Grimm book, a copy of one of the old books. It's a, it's a reprint of their first edition from like 1925. And it's beautiful. And she even like put little post-its to it. And she marked all of her favorite Brothers Grimm stories. Ugh. And it just, oh my God, I want to cry because it's my favorite thing I have in my room right now. And so one of her little notations... So this is all just like a big love story to uh, Paige from Affinity Florals because I love you. But... Uh, one of her little notations was, you should read P-Wit. <laughs> P-Wit. P-Wit. <laughs> Wit. W-I-T. Stop looking at me like P-wet. that. P-Wit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she said, poor P-Wit. He's always getting into some sort of trouble. And so I read P-Wit today. And <laughs> hey. I'm going to tell you. Hey, listen. The yeah. trouble that P-Wit gets into, it's mostly an accident. Everyone's always <laughs> peeing his pants. <laughs> A tragic accident. Little <laughs> well, piss boy. <laughs> um, by the way, I tried to look up. I, I was like, you know, I don't want to handle my super old copy that much. And so I was like, you know, I'll look it up in one of our our copies that we have like lying around the house. It's not in any of the new ones. It has been scrubbed from <laughs> the new ones. And then I looked it up online and I barely found it because it was like, do you mean pee with? And I was like, ew. <laughs> no, pee with what? <laughs> I love it. You're like, do you mean pee with me? Pee with. I put, I put pee with Brothers Grimm and they... <laughs> Yes. No, uh, I put P. Wit Brothers Grimm, and it came back with, do you mean P. with Brothers Grimm? (laughs) Like, ew. Anyway. They died. You can't. Well, you can't. You'd have to, like, go to Germany or wherever they're buried. Okay, so, the Brothers Grimm. Oh, that's P. on. (laughs) That's a P. on right there. (laughs) I just imagine both of us making a pilgrimage to Germany to P. on the Brothers Grimm. And when the authorities come to get us, we're like, no, no, it's for a podcast. <laughs> Sorry. Hello. We're the story babies. <laughs> what are the what are the two brothers' names? I can never remember them. Jacob and Wilhelm. Uh more like Jakob and Wilhelm. <laughs> uh more like Jacob and Wilhelm. <laughs> so once upon a time. <laughs> There was a farmer named Bewit. <laughs> Pissman. <laughs> the little piss boy. <laughs> His name was Bewit. A piss farmer. <laughs> he farmed piss. Actually, they're called urine technicians now. Wow. A fucking cancel culture. No, we can't say anything anymore. Okay. <laughs> you can't so just Pee-wit. be a piss farmer in the 21st century. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, he with the farmer. He lived a quiet and boring life with his quiet and boring wife. And he was in the same parish that he was born in, and every day was the same. <laughs> Pewit was bored. <laughs> so one day, as he's plowing his field with his two oxen, uh, who are obviously pulling his cart, uh, he hears a sound. 
And it sounds like this. Peewit! 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 And he looks around and he's like, what? <laughs> and there's nobody around. He looks behind him. There's nobody in the field behind him. He looks around. There's nobody in the forest. And then he looks up and above him, there is a bird. And the bird is a peewit bird. And just like the cuckoo and the uh, whippoorwills, it cries out its own name, right? And so this peewit bird is in the trees going, peewit, peewit. Now, peewit's not that smart. The bird or the guy? Yeah, not that smart. <laughs> and uh, all peewits. <laughs> it's, like, it's, kind of, it's like orange cats are all psychos. He has the wit of uh, piss. Pee. <laughs> so um, peewit is not that smart, and he's convinced that this bird is mocking him. So he picks up this really big rock, and he chucks it as hard as he can at the bird, right? And the bird flies away. The rock doesn't hit him. But the rock comes down and hits his ox in the head and kills it instantly. Oh, my God. Yeah. And Peewit's like, I am so strong. <laughs> wow. No, but Peewit's looking at his ox. And he's like, well, that sucks. And then he looks at his other ox and he's like, what's the, what am I going to do with this odd one? One can't pull this. And so he fucking kills the other one, too. Oh, piss wit. <laughs> <laughs> Don't call him piss wit. <laughs> So he kills the other one too. He skins them both. He sets out to the neighboring town because he's like, I'll go sell their hides at least. And I'm like, you better get a lot of money, enough money to pay for two more oxen. You're, you're a fucking farmer, dude. <laughs> um, but he's like, I'm going to go to the tanner in the neighboring town and see how much I can get for them. So he goes to the tanner's house and he knocks on the door. And as he's waiting, he happens to look through the window and he sees the tanner's daughter is inside. And she is hastily hiding a, quote, friend of hers in a big <laughs> chest in the corner of the room. Mm-hmm. This friend is a handsome young man. Mm-hmm. And he get in the chest. <laughs> she closes it. So she answers the door and she's like, what do you want? And Peewit is like, hi, I'm here to sell these hides. Is the tanner home? And she's like, no. And he's like, well, maybe I can make a bargain with you. Uh, and she's like, absolutely not. Obviously, I'm just his daughter. I don't make business decisions. I'm like 16 years old. And I'm just trying to fuck in here. So like, can we please... <laughs> And so she's like, you know, absolutely not. And he's like, listen, I'll sell you the hide for really cheap. In fact, I don't even mind selling you this hide for, I don't know, that old chest in the corner. And that's, of course, she's like, absolutely not. You can't have that old chest in the corner because her boyfriend's in there. Yeah. And as I sit there, he's there like haggling with her for a long time. And she's like, I, you can't haggle with me. I don't make business decisions. And eventually the tanner comes home and he sees Peewit on the doorstep. And he's like, what are you doing? And Peewit tells him the story. And she, he's like, listen, I offered to sell these hides. They're really good. And I told your daughter even, I'm not even asking that much. I would just, I would trade for that old chest in the corner. I really like it. And the tanner is like, yeah, absolutely. Take the chest. What? And he looks at his daughter and he's like, that's a really good deal. You should always take that. And his daughter is like, oh, well, I, he can't have that chest. I love that chest. That chest has been like a mother to me. <laughs> or like a, like a boyfriend, like a lover, uh, <laughs> I've, I've like romance the, partner to me. <laughs> the chest. <laughs> so she can't, though. She can't object or anything like that. She now has to just, just watch as Peewit drags this chest up onto his cart, and then he takes merrily off. He's like, mm-hmm, got this chest. Now, it is locked. He has locked it. <laughs> and so eventually, the poor guy inside starts to, like, make a lot of noise and is like, can I come out? <laughs> He's like, I'm losing my boner here. <laughs> Hello? This is a huge turnoff. Or is it? <laughs> Say something mean to me. <laughs> Call me a little piss boy. <laughs> Tell me I'm a naughty little boy who deserves to be in a box. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Peewit is driving. This guy is like, "Hey, let me 
out of the chest. <laughs> I have to pee. Um, and Pee-Wit is like, no, you can't come out. I mean, maybe for the right price. And so he bargains with this kid inside of this chest until eventually the kid's like, okay, I'll give you a thousand dollars. Also, the story online uses dollars and that just feels so weird. Anachronistic. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'll give you one Bitcoin. I'll give you one million dollars. <laughs> so um, I have a couple of uh, very like value appreciable NFTs. I would be more than happy to yeah. pass along to you. This one is a picture of a cat in a cowboy hat. Mm-hmm. And he's got little vampire fangs. And it's worth one million dollars. <laughs> or two bitcoins. He's worth... That's the same, right? <laughs> Non-fudgeable. <laughs> so, no fudge here, my guy. Not Only a single <laughs> of fudge. So, he bargains with this young man. And he's like, you can have $1,000. And then it says, quote, the money was paid. And I'm like, did he drive him to an, an ATM? Was he like, <laughs> how did he give him money? Because he doesn't let him out until he gets the money. Anyway. How? And Peewit sets the young man free. The young man like runs home like a thousand dollars poorer, which is a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> uh, with that thousand dollars, he builds a whole new house, and he's like throwing his money around so willy nilly that his neighbors are like, "What the hell?" is happening. Peewit is an idiot and also very poor. And so they say, quote, Peewit must have been where the golden snow falls. Piss? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He's, a, he's from the, the highest to the piss mountains. Apparently that is like an idiom that means he stole. I don't know. And so... Sounds they, like he pissed. It sounds like a golden shower. Okay, so they bring him to the justice of the peace, right? They're like, <laughs> stop! <laughs> Justice of the piss. <laughs> we are not gonna get through this story. He brings him to the justice of the peace. Pe- of the pe- <laughs> piss. Piss. The piss. piss. The Justin of the piss. <laughs> they bring him to Justin piss. <laughs> And oh, because no. they want him to prove that he got this money honestly. And Peewit is like, listen, I got this honestly. I killed my oxen. I took their hides to the tanner and he gave me a thousand dollars. Like, this is as honest as it comes. And so the whole town is like, well, fuck. He's paying a thousand dollars for two hides. So they all immediately just kill all their oxen. <laughs> and then they're like, we're going to go to this terrible businessman. <laughs> and the justice is like, listen. No one gets to do anything until my maid goes first. And so he sends his maid with his oxen's hides and she goes to the tanner. And the tanner laughs in her fucking face and is like, I did not give him a thousand dollars. I gave him an old trunk. Like, come on. (laughs) And um, they're all, God damn it, Max. God damn it, Max. I wrote down, they were all pissed. (laughs) (laughs) I also, when you said that he was just like throwing his money away... I realized in retrospect I should have said that he was just pissing it away. I don't know. You should not have. (laughs) We always strive to be better here. That's sort of the story. (laughs) Next time I'll know better and I'll make a piss joke. (laughs) (laughs) So they're all really mad and they decide to get back at Peewit for his lie. And they're like, listen, they all get together and they make this plan. They're going to attack Peewit while he's digging in his garden (laughs) the next day. Stop. And so the news makes it back to Peewit, and he's like, he had just been scolded by his wife, which is a big thing. She was mad because, like, 
she doesn't know where he got the money either. And also, like, now, like, all the neighbors are, like, judging them. And she's like, what the hell? You obviously did something. Also, where are our oxen? I can't believe you just killed them. Those are my friends. Anyway. <laughs> so, he decides any trouble that was to come for him might as well happen to his nagging bitch of a wife. <laughs> like, Peewit, be better. He goes up to her and he says, honey, can we play a funny, like, goofy little silly sexy game? <laughs> she's like, Okay. Which makes me think that she's not that nagging, because she agrees to this immediately. He's like, mm-hmm. what if tomorrow you dress up in my clothes? And she's like, okay, okay. And he's like, and then, instead of me digging in the garden, you go do my work. <laughs> and she's like, and this is for a, a sex thing? And he's like, oh, it's gonna be sexy. She's like, I mean, okay. <laughs> it's weird, but you, you've done weirder things. You're into piss playing. <laughs> so, the next day... She goes out dressed in his clothes and she starts doing his chores. (laughs) How did she get conned into doing this? I don't know. So being a woman at this time fucking sucks. So the neighbors, they show up and thinking that she is Peewit because she has her back turned to them, they threw a stone at her. And it says harder perhaps than they meant because it kills her automatically. And then they leave. They're like happy that Peewit is dead. (laughs) (laughs) No need for any further inspection. That guy (laughs) got murdered by a rock. The rocks in this area must be like lethal weapons. They are (laughs) pointy (laughs) like knives. Um, And so Peewit was very sorry that his wife is dead, but also pretty stoked that he's not dead. And he's like, well, I don't want to let her untimely demise go to waste. And so he dresses her back in her clothes. Then he drags her body to the side of the road and he props her up on this bench that is right against like a lake. Right. Mm -hmm. And he puts this beautiful basket of fruit in her lap and all the fruit is out of season. So like it's really coveted. Right. And it looks delicious. Mm -hmm. And eventually along the road, a coach with six horses and all these servants and like the people that, you know, ride ahead. What are they called? Outriders. Sure. (laughs) They all start to ride by and inside the coach is a noble lord and he (laughs) doesn't live far off. Uh, he stops because he sees the fruit and he's like, oh, that looks good. So he has a servant go out and he's like, go ask her how much she wants for it. So the servant walks up to this woman who's sitting there, like weekend at Bernie style, propped up with sunglasses. <laughs> and he's like, hello, ma'am. My noble lord would like to know how much money you would take for this fruit. And then he waits and she ignores him. And he's like, because she's dead. <clears throat> hello, ma'am. How much for the fruit? And he waits. And she ignores him. And now he's got anger issues, and he's had a bad day. And he's like, hey, don't ignore... You son of a bitch. And so he decides to box her in the ears. And when he does that, she flies backwards into the lake and just sinks straight to the bottom. (laughs) This guy fucking one-punched her. (laughs) This isn't as bad as the juniper tree when the little kid punches her brother in the head and then her head flies off. His head flies off his body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You gotta cut that. I couldn't say that at all. <laughs> so <laughs> so Peewit runs forward from the forest and he cries out in sorrow because they drowned his poor wife and she didn't do anything. She's just trying to sell fruit. And he points with tears in his eyes at the coach as the Lord comes out and he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you arrested. I'm gonna tell everyone that you murdered my wife and you're gonna go to jail. And immediately the Lord's like, hey man, can we be cool about this? Like, be cool, be cool. Like, what will it take for you to not do that? And he's like, nothing. There's nothing you can give me. And he's like, what about all my horses? And he's like, no. And he's like, and the coach? And he's like, nah. And he's like, how about all the servants? And I'm like, are they servants or slaves? You can't just trade them. Mm -hmm. And he's like, maybe. 
what else you got? <laughs> and then he basically takes everything they own and they're all just like left standing. Well, no, the guy, the one Lord is just left walking on the side of the road. And so Peewit gets in the coach and he is driven back to his door and all his neighbors see Peewit, who's supposed to be fucking dead, right? And they see him and this beautiful fancy coach with all these servants and outriders and they let him off in his door. They're all bowing to him and he's like, thank you, thank you. And they come up and they're like, Peewit, what did you do? And he tells them the whole story. I guess he just thought, he's like, you killed my wife and then like they killed her. I don't know. It's the whole thing. So they're all super pissed off. They're like, Peewit, <laughs> stop. <laughs> and so they grab him mm-hmm. and they throw him in a tub. And they're like, you're in a lot of trouble. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> so they grab him, they throw them in this tub, uh, you know, and they close the lid. I think it's just like a, a barrel because they roll it ahead of them. Uh, they start kicking it down the road and they're like, we're going to throw you in the lake. <laughs> so uh, get ready to drown. On the way to the lake, they roll past like a pub and they're like, I mean, we're kind of thirsty. It's kind of hard work throwing this tub around. And so they tie the tub to a tree and they all go in to get pissed. I, 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 damn it. God damn it. <laughs> and when Peewit was alone, he, he started thinking, he's like, how can I get free? How can I get free? What can I do to get out of this? And so then he starts hearing, bah, bah. Sheep. <laughs> oh, okay. Classic sheep noises. Mm-hmm. I should be a foley sheep? artist. I should be a sheep. <laughs> and so I already got this shit down. Yeah, he's here's he, the nearby flock of sheep. It's starting to walk past him, and so he begins to scream, "No, I will not be the burgomaster. You can't <laughs> make me be the burgomaster." All right, so you might be wondering. What's a burgomaster? What's a burgomaster? Burgomaster. Oh, I know what a burgomaster is. Tell me. A uh, burgomaster is a like the like the mayor. <laughs> it's of a mayor a burg. It's a mayor of a Dutch town. It's burgomaster. I think is how they spelled it. Mm-hmm. Meister. Uh, I guess I know the. This is a Dutch one, though. Yeah, so, yeah. It's a burgomaster. Ooh. That's not That's not real. I just said it. I said the word with an accent. That's not how. Uh, burger, I don't know anything. I'm very master dumb. Burgermaster sounds like a spinoff of Wahlburgers. I thought you said burglemaster, like a like a burglar. Nope. <laughs> I can't release. I was like, what's a burglemaster? <laughs> I want to okay. be a burglemaster. So he's screaming, I will not be the mayor of this town. I will not be the burglemaster. And eventually the shepherd who's leading this, this flock, he hears him and he walks up to the tub and he's like, What? What are you saying? Who's in there? And he's like, ugh, my neighbors are forcing me to become the burgomaster. They say we have to have one. I don't want it. But if I don't take it, they say they're going to throw me in a lake. Like, this is some bullshit. And the shepherd's like, I would love to be the burgomaster. Like, what are you talking about? That's such a good paycheck. And uh, Peewit is like, if you want to be it, then you take my place. Climb in here and you can be the burgomaster. And he's like, okay. And so the shepherd opens the cask, and Peewit comes out, the shepherd climbs in, Peewit closes and locks him in there, and then he, like, walks off happily, and then he happens to see this huge flock of sheep that <laughs> doesn't have a shepherd anymore, so he takes that flock of sheep, and he, uh, keeps going. <laughs> everything's, Why? Everything's coming up Peewit. So, the shepherd <laughs> is in there, and he's all happy about it, he's like, I'm gonna be the burgomaster. <laughs> Right. Oh, buddy. <laughs> um, the neighbors come out of the pub and they're all drunk as hell and they start rolling Pissed. the they start rolling the tub on and the shepherd's inside going, "I will be the burgomaster now." And they're all like, 
oh, sure you are. Sure, sure. But first you got to take a little swim. And they kick him into the lake and they watch as the thing sinks to the bottom. And then they all cheer and they start walking back. They're all really happy that they murdered Peewit, right? And meanwhile, it just says, like, he's left to kind of find his own way out. <laughs> Hopefully. He doesn't. He drowns. No. <laughs> so the neighbors, they the way they went to the, the lake, they start heading back, like, or in, like, a circle around where they were. And as they're doing that, Peewit is coming from the other side. So all, from what they know, this is now the third time they have tried to kill Peewit. And they just dumped him into a lake. And now they see him walking dry as a bone, but like following like a bunch of sheep are following behind him. And he's just happy and whistling. And they're like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> what? Peewit, what? And he's like, oh, hey, guys. That lake is magic. (laughs) And they're all like, what? And he's like, yeah. So after you threw me in, I sank down, down, down to the bottom. And when I hit it, the lid came off. So I swam out. I found myself in like a meadow. It was actually really chill down there. And there were so many sheep and like a bunch of flocks of sheep. So I just picked a flock of sheep and then I walked back out. And uh, now we're going home. It's pretty cool, actually. Like a magic lake. And all the neighbors are like, would that work with us? Would that work for us? Like, I don't know. And he's like, I mean, I don't see why not. There are literally, like, hundreds and thousands of sheep down there. You just have to, like, go down there and pick yours. And But, like, I would go there before, like, anyone else gets down there. So all the neighbors are like, yeah! And the justice of the peace is there as well. And he's like... Piss. <laughs> God damn it. Piss. <laughs> uh, and so the justice is there. And he's like, I'm gonna go first, though. And then my clerk can go. And the clerk's like, oh, thank you, my lord. <laughs> and, he's like, and then after that, the constables, the they're like, the yes. Piss. <laughs> and then the rest of the parish can jump in. I don't care the order. And so they make it to the lake. And as they do, they get really excited because it's a very clear, it's like a beautiful, clear day. And there are some like fluffy white clouds in the sky. And they see the reflection of the sky off the water. And, like, on the other side, and they start to really convince themselves that the cloud shapes are the sheep that are under the water. And they're like, I see them! And they all get scared. They're like, oh my god, if the justice jumps in first, then, like, he's gonna take all the sheep. And so then they all just jump in at once. It's chaos. And they all, like, sink down to the bottom. Right? And, uh, Peewit makes it home and is happy with his sheep and his life. And the last line is, quote, leaving his neighbors to find flocks for themselves as well as they could. And that's the story of Peewit. <laughs> I, it starts, it, all, at every point they're like, Peewit's a fucking idiot. Peewit's an idiot. But also not really. No, he's not. He's vindictive. He's a, he's a serial killer. Terrifying yeah. psycho. No common sense, but like, he tricks everyone. I think he's the only person left alive in that town at the end. Yeah. And that one nobleman who hates him now. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, he's got all his servants slash slaves. <laughs> and all the wives. What? <laughs> what? All the wives. They just have to be peewits now? No, no, no. Like, they, like, I guess none of the wives jumped in the lake, right? Because it's like... It doesn't say. It could have been everyone. It Why was it neighbors. Everyone? Just as neighbors. Okay, that's fair. I shouldn't have assumed. Yeah. That's on me. Neighbors could be women, too. <laughs> <laughs> Prove it. Oh, I can't. <laughs> hey, what's up? If you're a woman, move in next to me. <laughs> Prove me wrong. <laughs> if you're a woman, move into our house. Wait. <laughs> Then you, I guess you won't be a neighbor. Also, we're women. <laughs> oh, no. We're neighbors with other people. Proven. Anyway, that's the story of Peewit. I tried to look it up. There was absolutely no info on this. <laughs> and again, they're scrubbing it from every book. Conspiracy theory? Maybe. 
No, I think that's what's happening. I think that you're right. Yeah. I think that you're 100% right. Anyway, have fun. How fun. Yeah. I gotta say, I don't... I feel like if someone was like, hey, you want a bunch of sheep? You just have to jump in a lake. I wouldn't do it. It's not worth it. Well, okay. What's the equivalent to today, though? Still sheep. We still have sheep today, Julie. You want a, you want a bunch of... <laughs> no, you know, Sheeps exist in the modern era. <laughs> Prove it. I can't. Mm-hmm. I suppose that's fair. Wait a minute. We live next door to sheep. No. <laughs> Our neighbors are sheep. Women sheep. <laughs> Our neighbors are you. E-W-E. <laughs> uh, I'm very tired. I'm um, very tired. Guys, have a great day. Go on to our Instagram and our TikTok and our Goodreads and everything. And our Twitter. Say hi to us. We also it's have a sort of the story. All one word. We also have... A Discord, which you can find at our link tree at any of the locations aforementioned. Yeah. And you can email us at sortofthestory at gmail.com. <laughs> and that's about Oh, guys. And we have a bookshop.org affiliate account now. So if you like any of the books that we are talking about, then you can buy them from your local bookstore or from a small bookstore around the U.S., Using bookshop.org. Yeah, and that link's in our bio, and you help support us, and you also help support bookshops, and you aren't giving money to Amazon when you don't have to, and it's all just one good feel-good thing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times what we do for our books, if we want something that is new, we'll go through bookshop.org because it pays small businesses and it pays the authors really well, Mm -hmm. because that's just how small businesses and small bookstores work. Yeah. Uh, If we're looking for something used, or if if we're looking for something that, like, doesn't have a living author, sometimes we'll be more prone to getting used books, but if you're looking for any new books, bookshop.org is the place to go. Yeah. So uh, you can find that info in our bio. And if you're looking to start your own podcast, there's a link in our bio to sign up for Buzzsprout, which is the platform we use. And if you do that, then you can get a $20 gift card. For Amazon. For Amazon. I always forget that part. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we host our podcast on Buzzsprout, and they've been really great. Their customer service is amazing. They help you list on a variety of different platforms, and they have a lot of, uh, like, audio processing, like an audio processing wizard that's been really helpful for us. They help you promote your podcast and everything like that. So if you're looking to start a podcast, Buzzsprout is one of the best places that you can start. So um, if you're interested in starting a podcast, check out the link in our show notes. notes. In our show notes for this episode, or you can go to our link tree. We also have the link available there. How fun. How fun. Guys, we love you. We love you so much. Have a good fucking day, idiots. Bye. (laughs) You little pissed babies. (laughs) So I took this test yesterday, and I was complaining about it at Lauren's house, and somebody was like, yeah, but like, you know what? The worst that'll happen is you fail, and you have to just take it again. It's fine. And I was like, that's the problem. What are you talking about? That's the problem. I don't think I'm going to get fired. They're going to make me do it again, and I just can't not study twice. I can't do it. I know I won't study the second time. It's very stressful to know that you haven't studied for this giant test. Yeah. I don't want to have to do it again. Just let me pass the first time. Yeah. That's how I felt on my AP uh, European History exam, because I did not pay attention during that class. And we got to the exam, and I was studying my notes, and I realized I had a grand total of, like, 15 pages of notes. (laughs) And I was looking over them, and I was like, I don't know what any of this shit means. I just wrote down random words. (laughs) (laughs) So I just had to go into the AP Euro exam like, well... Here's hoping. (laughs) (laughs) I went into this test and realized that my strategy for most 
like stressful question and answer situations is hoping that that's the day I realize I have a Sherlock Holmes level mind palace because every time I <laughs> every time I saw something where I was like maybe I do know who this is I would just like try to go into my mind and I was like oh you don't have one of those <laughs> but I did it like 80 times <laughs> which is half of all of the questions <laughs>